chillin' and uh, you will hear about the eliminating of the negative and the accent on a positive. And gather round me, chillin', if you're willing, and sit tight while I start reviewing the attitude of doing right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird and Friends. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I have a very special guest who I am connecting via Zoom with all the way from the United States of America, and she is Jess from The Fioneers. Welcome, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. Jess is a pretty awesome blogger. She has a financial independence blog that focuses on the journey to financial independence. And last year, she won an award for the best new personal finance blog at FinCon, which is pretty awesome because FinCon is a community that has kind of the best of the best money nerds, really, from around the world that are there. And that says a lot for the value of what she puts on her blog. Beyond writing for her blog, she is a lifestyle design coach and works part-time in human resources for a non-profit organisation. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about today, Jess. Absolutely. Jess, let's start by talking about life before you learned about FI, financial independence. What were you doing? What made you decide to pursue FI? I learned about financial independence when I was about 30 years old. I think prior to that... I wanted to have a really interesting life where I did things that were really impactful in the world. I thought I would do international development work based on some travel that I had done. Pretty quickly, I graduated from university and the international development work, unfortunately, did not work out. Mm. My husband and I, we did travel and then we ended up getting very sick and needing to come back to the US. From there, we built really what in America is a conventional life, working nine to five jobs, chasing after the next promotion. The only difference between maybe our job and a typical person was we did choose to work at nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. If we couldn't do international development work, like we were going to at least work in nonprofits. (laughs) About 10 years into our careers, we realized that We had started out with this really idealistic picture of what we wanted our lives to look like and realized that we were living a conventional story. And we, we weren't happy with that. I particularly was not happy with that. I was in a toxic job that was causing some mental health and some anxiety issues. I was trying to figure out what do I like, what do I want to do next? So I started going through this whole self-discovery process. And my husband gave me the book, Your Money or Your Life around that time. And that was really inspiring for me. I think it opened my eyes to say like, wow, there is actually a different way of living your life. Before that, I had just sort of believed that everyone needed to work 40 hours a week and they would probably do that Till they were in their 60s and and you would save as much as you can and maybe you could retire someday. Mm-hmm. It was that book that really opened my eyes to be able to say, no, like I can actually decide something that I want and I can work toward it. I didn't actually commit to financial independence right away because I think at first I still saw it as deprivation, like that you were going to be depriving yourself of something until you could reach this like early retirement of 
eternal bliss kind of thing, you know, the, the stereotype of that. So my initial picture was, okay, then I have to stay in my job doing the work that I'm doing for 10 plus more years just to reach phi. And I was like, I can't do that. Mm. Like, I don't want to stay where I am for 10 more years. I stayed probably for another six months or so until we really figured out like, okay, we are going to pursue phi. It doesn't mean that I have to stay in my job for 10 years. In like literally three days after we made that decision, we were rented a, a, a cabin and we were like on a lake and we were just like talking through our lives. Three days after that decision, work got really hard. I started having panic attacks um, and then needed to take about six months off of work. It was quickly going from this decision to say, yes, we want to pursue FI. No, we're not going to stay in the same situation that we're in, but who knows what's next to like, being forced to be able to really reckon with what is it that I'm going to do? What am I going to do? Am I going to try to push through the anxiety and the panic attacks? Am I going to just quit entirely? Am I going to take the disability, right? There were a number of different options that I really needed to figure out. Thank you so much for your courage in sharing that. I relate to that on so many levels. In fact, this time last year, I was off work on stress leave. I was off only for about a week, but I honestly didn't think I was going to pull it together. I was triggered by a particularly toxic working relationship with one member of my team, but there'd also been an issue with my direct boss. Other people in my section were feeling it. It wasn't just me. It had been going on for too long. And it was, yeah, it was terrifying. Like I had trouble sleeping. I became really dizzy. I had trouble focusing. I became, yeah, just not my normal self. And it is really difficult. And I think so much, like I said, so much of what you said really resonated. We have this view that our identity when we're going through school, when I was at least, school at university, our identity will be career success. That, you know, I was a smart person, straight A student, got honours degrees at university, thought I'll just go into this workplace and I'll work really hard, I'll do the right thing and I'll get to the top. But it's never really a nine to five job, is it? And it's never really as simple as just doing a good job. No, no, it's definitely not. And I, I feel you on the, the like toxic people in the work situation. Like that's, I think the hardest thing to, to deal with. And on the identity piece, I think I had over the course of the 10 years in my career, I'm in my early thirties. I had built my identity around my career. Mm. And so I was an HR manager for a nonprofit organization. And that was who I am. And that was my job. And that was what I put all of my effort into. For a second, it felt like I had failed. I wasn't able to handle it. Mm. And then I think, so then that was part of what weighed on me. But then I feel like this gave me this, the six months off is such a beautiful opportunity, looking back on it, to really get out of that mindset and to say, what do I actually want? If I don't need to work for income, what would I do? Like, what do I want my identity to be based around if it doesn't have to be based around work? 
really allowed me to work through, I think, I might all, all call it like toxic feminism in some ways, <laughs> that it's like I had thought that feminism, to be a feminist, I needed to work extremely hard in my career mm-hmm. so that I could pave the way for other women, even though it was making me extremely miserable to the point where I couldn't work for six months. That was toxic. And yes, in some ways, like that view, having that view of feminism, I think that came from somewhere. I don't know exactly where that came from. But I think during the time off, I really had a chance to think about what do I want? What does it actually mean to be a feminist and to really live out who I am as a woman in the world and getting to like choose what that is and realizing that feminism is each woman choosing her own path for herself. For me, that was, I think, a really good moment to realize that there were different ways to live your life and different ways to see the world. I don't think that I would have learned those things at least not for a while, had I not gone through that really challenging period. I'm so glad you came out the other end of it. What I'm finding is that nearly all my female friends are also suffering from this sense of feeling like they need to work really hard to prove themselves that they're not enough on some level, that their success that they get is only as a result of extra hard work, that they're not deserving of anything to come freely and easily to them and it's almost a competition really like people will say to me how do you do so much like what's the secret and it's like well the secret is I have anxiety and panic attacks and I take on too much (laughs) and then feel overwhelmed like you really don't want to follow what I'm doing you really but it's like even um, about a week ago I had someone go wow you wrote this this post so you're so fast and efficient like what's the secret like how do you manage all of this it's like you know, really, you, you don't want to go where mm-hmm. I'm going. This is just who I am and I'm dealing with the fact that I take on too much. Mm-hmm. You know, I really appreciate the fact you've been so honest about your own journey because it isn't always a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when you are in a stressful corporate job, especially now. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm assuming it's the same in the US, but in the current work environment, people who do have a job, Mm -hmm. I'm sensing a feeling like they need to work extra hard to prove that they can keep it Mm. in that scarcity mindset. Yeah, I think so. And thinking of the scarcity mindset, I think like that's a big reason why I stayed in that job for so long is that I didn't really understand I had chosen because of sort of my issues with scarcity mindset and things that come out of that to not be involved in our financial management. And so I didn't know how much money we had and I didn't know how much money we had saved. I knew we were okay, Mm. but I had come out of university during the great recession. So I graduated in 2009 and it was really challenging to get a job. And we started out with really low incomes, worked our way up over time to get to a place where we were doing pretty well. But I had this feeling just at like any moment that it could just all be taken away. Mm. I needed to keep working and I needed to keep working really hard and I needed to keep increasing my income. And so it was this 
it was that combination, I think, of the that feeling like I needed to prove myself and never wanting to be where I was 10 years ago. Yeah, that that's deep. Once again, that hoarding instinct. And I have felt that as well as someone who was a single mother for a while, mm-hmm. that deep need to hoard, mm-hmm. to pay off the mortgage and to have very yep. kind of simple investing techniques because of that fear. Mm-hmm. And it does hold you back, doesn't it, that scarcity mindset? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I will say is I think there's two situations. There's one where we have a feeling of scarcity but there might not actually be scarcity. And then there's when there is legitimately scarcity. Early in my life, when I made $11,000 a year as one of my first jobs, that legitimately was scarcity. And we needed to like penny pinch in order to not go into debt. Whereas now, where I was in 2018, when I was in that job that was pretty toxic, I still felt I was in that same place that I was 10 years ago, but it wasn't the reality. I think one one thing that I would recommend people doing, especially if you are in a situation that isn't that dire, is to like really look at the numbers. Not only know what they are, but to understand what does this mean for my life, not just in the future, but today. Mm. When I was faced with the decision to decide do I want to push through? Do I want to quit? Do I want to go on the disability insurance and get some pay? Really, that was maybe the first time in my life that I had really looked at the numbers in the way of saying, what does this mean for my life right now? It was like, I knew we had an emergency fund. I knew we had a good amount of savings. We had been investing in our retirement accounts for many years. But it wasn't until I looked at the number that I was like, oh, we have nine months in an emergency fund. Great. So I could take nine months off. And then I was like, wait a second. We only need that if we both lose our jobs. Mm. Then I was, okay, so if I'm not working and we save a good amount of our income anyway, that we could cover most of our spending on one person's salary. It was this realization of saying, wow, I could just quit for six months and we probably still wouldn't even need to pull from the emergency fund if we were to tighten things up a little bit. It was that realization of having this feeling of freedom to say, okay, this is the reality of like actually going through the scenarios to say, what would actually happen if X, then Y? And if that happened, would I be okay? And if the answer is yes, which it usually is, then that helps me to reduce the financial anxiety and that scarcity mentality that I kind of came up with. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I was sort of shocked in a way with how many people didn't have emergency funds going into this pandemic. Yeah. In Australia, we'd had 29 years of economic growth. So we, our economy actually didn't go down in the, during the global financial crisis. Mm. Some people were severely affected, but because we had the mining boom, overall our economy saw its way through. Australians have been a lot more sheltered in a way, and it's really quite shocking the amount of people who just not only didn't have an emergency fund, but were in debt. And when suddenly they didn't have their jobs, it was really hard. I think that that's similarly true in the United States as well. I think like my advice 
for my situation applies when someone does have some resources. And so it's when you don't have scarcity, but you have a feeling of scarcity. I feel like I can't provide great advice for people who are legitimately in a place where they are living with scarcity, except for from my experience from from early career when I was making $11,000 a year of knowing the numbers, knowing where you are. Because I think sometimes if you don't know where you are, that just makes everything scarier. If I have a to-do list at work, or if I'm too busy to make a to-do list, then I'm stressed out about the things that I like am forgetting to do. I so relate to that. <laughs> I think it's the same with finances too. If you don't know what the issues are, then I think you're going to be more stressed than if you did and you knew what steps to take to address them. Exactly. And it takes a lot of courage really to sit down and look at what is my financial situation actually like and for a lot of people there's a lot of issues about money and money mindset that they've inherited perhaps from their parents it's almost a taboo topic because it has a lot of pain around it Mm. sitting down and actually looking at the real black and white or red numbers Mm -hmm. is really confronting but it's also very liberating once you do that Mm -hmm. it's facing your fear and going in and looking at it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think it's anytime you're looking at something in your life that may not be going as well as you wanted to, it takes a lot of courage to look at that and to look at it with eyes wide open and to say, here's what's working, here's what's not working, then to figure out what steps you're going to take. That is a big challenge, I think. And And it does require a lot of courage. I think it's really important to find people and find people with similar goals who also are working toward things so that you can get support on those things along the way. I agree. And particularly people who are dealing with debt. I've seen some other Instagrammers who talk openly about their challenge of paying down their debt and they're hugely encouraging for other people. Mm -hmm. It's like a a major weight loss goal, talking a major weight loss goal, not just a little bit of losing a few kilos for summer. When you see someone who has done it and was doing it. Mm -hmm. It's hugely inspiring Mm -hmm. for other people. And I agree. Just to move on to another topic, you write a lot about slow FI, slow financial independence. What does that mean? Slow financial independence is a term that we coined probably about a year and a half ago. Basically, it is an approach to financial independence where you focus on building a life that you love along the way to FI. So I think like traditional financial independence retire early narrative was you sort of sprint, you work really, really hard, you make as much money as you possibly can as quickly as possible, you spend as little as possible so that you can save it all. So you can retire early in like five years or something, or like by the time you're 30. Mm. So we started hearing stories of people who had retired early saying that they wished that they had gone slower and taken time along the journey to build up things that they enjoyed. They're they're now making money on businesses. So why didn't they do that earlier? Or people (laughs) lamenting that they missed out on time with family and friends or really unique once in a lifetime experiences that they missed out on for the sake of saving money. 
once I started hearing those stories, I was like, I need to find these people who are living this other sort of not living according to that traditional narrative, because I had a feeling that people were out there. They just weren't the stories that were being shared in the big news media. And they weren't like the super big popular bloggers, like the Mr. Money Mustache and those kinds of sensational stories. We made it our mission to identify people who were doing things, taking a mini retirement, finding a job that they actually enjoy doing, negotiating flexibility at work, do nomadic travel, starting a business, deciding to do freelance or consulting work. So there's so many different things that people are doing. And what they're doing is they're building up their financial freedom. And then along the way, they're realizing that they're able to use that freedom to improve their life, not only in the future, but also today. That really resonates for me as well, mm-hmm. I guess, in terms of my philosophy for life. For instance, four years ago, I took up skiing again. Mm. Now, I have at least one friendly troll on my Facebook group who consistently tells me what frugalistas should and shouldn't do. Mm. And apparently, we shouldn't be skiing. Mm-hmm. But I do like skiing. And why I like it particularly is because I go with my dad, who turns 76, I think, later this year. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to have him with me forever Mm -hmm. and he's certainly not going to be skiing forever. The fact that he's still skiing very well in his 70s is quite amazing. If I waited until I was fully financially independent before I went skiing, I would miss Mm. that opportunity to go skiing with him. And we used to go skiing together when I was young. He used to take my sister and I for skiing holidays. I have so many beautiful memories. I do talk to him regularly on the phone. I don't have to go on expensive holidays to relate to my dad, but it is something really special that we share. Mm -hmm. And with my husband now too, we really, three years ago, just before we started dating really, we went on a really memorable ski trip together. And so we have so many beautiful memories that are tied up in that too. Mm -hmm. So if I was just so fixated on getting to a certain number, Mm -hmm. I would miss out on those kind of experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that People have said that they have regrets on those. Like there's people who said they didn't go to a best friend's destination wedding in the name of saving and then they regret it later. Mm. Or there's the story of the people who ran the blog plan Invest Escape who reached FI and then about four months later, the husband was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, no. Yes, so sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's these kinds of situations that one, make me realize we can't wait to make changes. But then there's so many also examples of people who have made changes along their path to FI and made decisions to go a little bit slower and are so much happier for it. And what's the point of FI? The point of FI is to live a wonderful, meaningful, fulfilling life. And if you can do that while you're still needing to generate income, then I don't see why there needs to be a rush. Mm, Thank you. Very wise words of wisdoms. You also talk a lot about the treat yourself, you only live once culture. We've been talking about slow FI and wanting to take time out to do the things that are significant. But what about this treat yourself, treat yourself culture because I hear this term all the time my husband and I were on a cruise last year he loves cruising and we're on a short cruise which we got on a very good price I might add being frugal (laughs) we managed to research these kind of deals 
And I made the mistake of asking to have a look at the spa and and beauty area because we were just there and I was curious. And of course, then I got hammered by all the, the sales and treat yourself, treat yourself, treat yourself to crazily overpriced products that I was never going to use in a million years. But this is almost the catchphrase, I felt, mm-hmm. at least before this recession it was. What's your view? Should we be treating ourselves? I think my view is it is completely fine to be treating ourselves. The question that I have is why? Why is it that we're treating ourselves? Are we specifically choosing to treat ourselves on something that we truly value, like the ski trip that you take with your dad? Or is it something that we're one being pressured to treat ourselves, but we don't really want to do it? Oftentimes, we treat ourselves when we're burned out, when we're exhausted, when we're stressed. I really think it depends on why. Because for me, when I was really in that period of burnout, we spent a lot of money on things, just random things, takeout because we were too tired to cook. And Mm -hmm. that felt like a treat yourself kind of thing. It was, I was working really hard and I was exhausted. So why not enjoy the spoils of my labor? Going to get massages or even buying food at the grocery store that would be like super easy to cook. That felt like a treat yourself sort of thing too. Or like the luxury vacation that you're like, I can do this because I make good money kind of thing. I work hard. I deserve it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, I work hard. I deserve it. Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. I need it Mm -hmm. to like function or I feel pressured. And so there's like all of these things that could trigger us to feel like we need to treat ourselves. When in actuality, I want to treat myself because it's something that I truly want and it's going to add value to my life. Mm. An interesting thing was in the year that after I quit my toxic job, we spent $17,000 less with hardly thinking about it. And it was on groceries, expensive groceries that we would let go to waste because we would get takeout instead because we were too tired to cook. Mm -hmm. And it was on the luxury vacation that we didn't get a deal on because we didn't need to because we made a lot of money or we made enough. And the like random things that you go on for us, it's Amazon. I don't know if that's the same in Australia, but just go online and buying like stuff because you just like need that little boost. Mm. It was so interesting that it was for me, it was like the treating myself made it much harder to sort of get out of the rat race. It was like I was spending so much more money because I was in that. And again, right, it's a chicken or an egg thing. I think it's the cycle. I think it's either a vicious cycle Or it can be a virtuous cycle. You have the vicious cycle of the rat race, which is you work more than you spend more because you work more and then you have to work more so you can pay for all of the things that you are buying. But if you try to arrest that process in the moment, it's going to feel like deprivation and it's going to feel hard and you're going to get burned out. Or it can be this virtuous cycle of saying, I'm going to work less. I'm going to build a life that I enjoy more. And then I'm naturally going to spend less because I don't have as many of these triggers. 
that would trigger me to treat myself, spending my money a lot more intentionally on things that will make me happy. That makes sense. Thank you so much. And one final question. Do you have a frugalista tip to share? Yeah. My frugalista tip is very related to that. I would recommend that people look at their spending triggers to look at what are the kinds of things that cause you to spend money. Is it when you're tired? Is it stress? Is it comparison? What are the situations in which you feel like you get to this point where you want to treat yourself? And then see if you can address those. And then the spending will fall into place. Mm, Very wise words of advice. So many of us have things like routine, retail therapy. I used to have a habit in another lifetime where we would go to the shopping mall on a Friday afternoon because that's what you do to celebrate the end of a working week. And of course, you can't go to a shopping mall without buying things, even when you're a frugal. So addressing why you're doing that, what your habit is, Mm -hmm. and then flipping it and changing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so very much. Now, where can people find you? Yeah, people can find us. So our blog is called The Fioneers, so thefioneers.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at The Fioneers. And then we do have a Facebook group for people who are interested in the idea of slow fi. And if you want to find that Facebook group, you can go to thefioneers.com slash FB. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And just a a request from people too, if you like this podcast and others, please follow it. Please leave a comment to say how much you love this and other podcasts. And please also join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group. Thank you so very much, Jess, for your time. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. You've got an accentuate the positive eliminate the negative latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In Between.